Good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. It's so good to have you here with us this morning. Everyone after Thanksgiving has managed to roll out of bed and be here this morning. So I thank you for that. And um, I do want to say that uh, I hope everyone had a nice Thanksgiving. But I, I, I'm, as I think about Thanksgiving, I really do enjoy the food. And one of the things I like the most is stuffing and turkey and mashed potatoes all mixed together. Yeah, that's some good stuff right there. So I, I, you know, I get to eat that, and you know, oftentimes on Thanksgiving I enjoy, I look forward to eating that, and then maybe like just chilling out and watching some football and just sort of dozing off while I'm full of all that food. I didn't get to do the dozing off part while watching football this year, but I did get to do the eating part, and that that was that was enjoyable. So um, it was a good feeling. So. Um, I wanted to start off this morning by giving you a picture of what it might look like for a college student, who happens to be me, um, who's supposed to be getting their schoolwork done and instead is playing video games. So growing up, there was lots of, there was some different video games I played. Now this was, okay, this was in the 90s, all right, so I guess they're retro games now. Um, but anyways, I played the Sega Genesis and the original Nintendo and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I would play Joe Montana football. Yeah. And, and Sonic the Hedgehog. Yep, those, those are some. And I would play games for hours and hours on end. I'd play those video games. And then it got to the point where I, I was in college and there was this computer game that I found. And I really liked this computer game. And, I was on, and so what ended up happening was it was one Saturday where I sort of chose not to do any schoolwork. And I decided that I was going to, well, actually I didn't plan it, but I was just going to play this new game that I had called The Sims. Now, The Sims I really liked because you could take like, you know, a... a a person and sort of live life with, you know, you're responsible for their physical well-being, their emotional well-being, and you're just trying to take care of making sure all that works out. And I would play it, and that's one Saturday, I played Sims for 13 hours. Yeah, I know, ridiculous, right? 13 hours I played that game, and, and, and I thought maybe I did that because I really liked it or I was really good at it. But I'm not sure that was the case. As you can see in that picture there, one of the things that would happen if you didn't make sure your sim like, got adequate sleep is that they would just pass out anywhere. Just it didn't matter where you were, they would just pass out. And so this would often be my character passed out on the lawn because he didn't get enough sleep, right? So I thought I'd share that with you. And, you know, and so, but part of the problem with when I would play video games too much or, or go into some sort of other comfort level type of thing is that that would lead me into living a passive life. If, now again, I want to get this, this straight. I'm not, I'm not saying video games are wrong, okay? Um, what I'm saying is that, is that excessive focus on just doing things for amusement to be comfortable and, and losing your vision on what God has for your life then that can become a problem. And then that comfort ble can bleed 
into my life. It could affect the way that I let Jesus lead me, the way I let the way that I lead my family. It can affect the way that I lead the church or the community. I've said, and my, my kids aren't in the room, I don't think, but I've said to my kids, I've put some, some very strict limits on their video game play and, um, because I, I don't want them to miss out. I don't, I want, I don't want them to, to go into just this comfortability or passivity where that just is their whole world. I want them to be able to pursue the goals that, that Jesus has for their life. I do have a game I do like to play now, but I don't play it very much. Um, when I have time, I play it. But I still have to be careful because it's another one of those games, you know, any real life type stuff I, I can really get into. Um, so I got to be careful because um, it can lead me into a passive lifestyle where I'm not leading my family well the way that I need to. And we're going to talk a lot about passivity today. In our series, in our series so far, we've talked about almost, we've talked about insecurity and fear. We've talked about jealousy, turning our uh, enemies into allies. We've talked about trust, courage over fear last week, right? Courage over fear and mercy over judgment. And then we talked about that with David last week. And we're going to continue to talk about David this week, but we're going to talk a little bit about a downward spiral that he begins. We're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So we see a beginning of a fade with David with his beginning to neglect his duties. He sent his right-hand man, Joab, to go and do his job for him. See, because David was the one, David was supposed to go to war with his troops. Perhaps David was just getting a little too comfortable. We see this progression and this slow fade as David begins neglecting his duties. Maybe, maybe he was feeling that he was so important now, he did not need to go to war with his people. So, while David sits back in comfort, he's in his palace here. He's sitting back in his comfort and his idle time, not going to war. And on the roof of another building is this beautiful woman, Bathsheba. And he says, I want that woman. So, what he does is this leads to a path of destruction for David. David in his comfort, decides that rather than living righteously, he's going to choose personal pleasure. And, this, and so after committing adultery with Bathsheba while her husband was at war, he tries to cover it up by attempting to bring her husband, Uriah, back. And he tells her husband, because what ended up happening was Bathsheba got pregnant, so David's panicking, and he brings Uriah back from war and says, go home. And be with your wife. And Uriah says, no, I'm not going to do that. I I need to be at war. I I need to be with my troops at war. So Uriah refused to go home to be with his wife. So that David's cover up with that didn't work. 
So then David sends Uriah back to war and he arranges the troops so that they step back in the fiercest battle so that Uriah is killed. So he commits adultery and he commits murder. And he thinks, oh, I I solved the problem. I got away with it. Nope. Then God brings the prophet Nathan to him to confront David. And he shares a story with David. And in this story, he says a rich man has a whole bunch of sheep. He's got a ton of his own sheep. And, and, and someone comes to visit. And, he, and instead of using one of the many sheep that, that this rich man has, he, takes, he goes over here to the poor man and he steals his only sheep. He goes and he steals his only sheep when he has many And David, we'll, we'll listen to David's response here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. David felt the conviction of that at that moment, but he cast judgment on himself without knowing it. See, because David's courage was replaced with comfort, sitting at home, not going to war, sleeping with Bathsheba, his mercy was replaced with judgment, and the judgment was on himself. See, the judgment of David, however, was that the sword would not depart from his house. Essentially, David's decision that he made started a chain reaction of poor decisions, of sin, and of conflict that would wreak havoc on his family for years to come. Beginning here, 2 Samuel 13, 1-5. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat from her hand. You see... David, he was passive in leading himself. When you're unwilling to lead yourself, it's impossible for you to lead others well. God confronts David, and David loses the child that Bathsheba bore to him, and David appears to be broken after this. You see, because our sin does not occur in a vacuum. When we're in the process of rationalizing our own sin, sometimes we don't see the consequences for ourselves, and the consequences that will be on others. We might say, I'm not hurting anyone. 
No one really knows. It will be okay. And then we might even compare it to bigger sin and say, well, at least I'm not doing that thing that that person's doing. The reality is ongoing, unrepentant sin hurts us and those that we care about, no matter how we justify it. Then, after we've sinned, we so often become crippled by shame, and that only increases the amount of passivity. Because David's passivity bled into his leadership of others. David's passivity bled into his leadership of others. David, his oldest son, is attracted to his half-sister, and he allows that ungodly lust to drive him to make a horrible plan. This plan, unfortunately, works, and David is none the wiser. We see David here as a man who is uninvolved. He does not think to question this odd request. All we know is that David could not see what was wrong with this picture. He could not see what was wrong. Why, why, would, why would Amnon be coming to him and asking him for the sister to be helping him while he was ill? That, was not, that, that, would, that would not be common to happen. So David should have questioned. What ends up happening is Amnon ends up raping his half-sister who refused to sleep with him. And not only does he do that, he goes beyond that to lead to her shame. Second Samuel 13, 15 to 19. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing, and she put her hand on her head as she went away, weeping aloud as she went. You know, when we began to talk about this in our um, pastor's meeting, like, I really had a difficult time. I really had a difficult time because I read this and I just get nauseous. And then I feel angry. And maybe some of you are sitting here and there's some things that you've dealt with in your life. Maybe there's been some abuse in your life. And this is hard to sit here and hear what's happening here. And I would tell you as a, as a counselor all those years, it would be probably six or seven times a week that I would hear this about some sort of sexual abuse that happened. And so when I look at this, I get sick. I get angry with Amnon, and I get angry with David at his passivity right now, as him being clueless as to how to respond, not, not even catching what's going on here. And so it's been hard for me, you know, oftentimes, you know, oftentimes I'll be like, yeah, I get to preach that message. And then I got this one. I was like, oh, uh, okay. You know, um, and, but you know what? Um, the reality is, is, as many of you know, that, is that life is, is messy and people sin. 
and wrong choices are made, and one happened here. Um, now, so, and so not only was this awful thing done, but Amnon makes it worse by sending her away in disgrace. He has her forcibly removed and left her in shame. And right when you think that her father would, David would step in and bring his daughter back into the palace for protection and provision, someone else stepped in and did it. David's son, Absalom, was very angry with Amnon. He ends up taking Tamar and making sure that she's being taken care of so that she is not experiencing the shame as much as she was. But I want you to pay attention to David's reaction. I said that I, oftentimes I would feel a lot of anger. And I wouldn't show it in my counseling sessions. I would try not to show it anyways. But I would feel that anger, but it, it, there, I would also desire for justice. I would desire for justice to be made, steps to be made to protect people. And one of the things we'll, we'll read here in verse 21 2 Samuel 13, 21. When King David heard all this, he was furious. That's, that's the appropriate emotional response. He should have been furious. But you see, David gets angry, but he doesn't do anything. It doesn't say that he yelled at Amnon or exiled Amnon or even followed the Levitical law as it relates to incest. He didn't do that. There were consequences for Amnon available to David. But David doesn't cast judgment, nor does he defend his daughter. Maybe David's own shame kept him. His shame from his own sin maybe kept him from dealing with his son appropriately. Maybe David reasoned to himself, who am I to judge? I sinned in a horrible way. This is not courage or mercy we are seeing from David here. He became angry, but his own shame kept him from taking appropriate action. His shame led him to overlook sin. If we're so racked with guilt, we can be passive in almost every part of our lives. David does not take his daughter in or demand justice for her. We can sometimes confuse passivity with mercy. But to leave someone to their sin is not mercy, but unwillingness to spare them judgment. David did not deal with Amnon, and this led to an increased conflict as Absalom took matters into his own hands. Let's look at 2 Samuel 13, <clears throat> beginning in verse 22. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep shears were at Baal Hazar, near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. Absalom went to the king and said, Your servant has shears, had shears come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? No, my son, the king replied. All of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but he gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, if not, if not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. Hmm. The king asked him, 
Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged, so he sent, he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. So David's passivity and shame have led to some pretty unwise decisions by him. And, and you and I, we can look at this passage. We know Absalom's anger with Amnon and how he came to Tamar's aid and defended her. So we might be able to see what ha- actually is going to happen here. You ever see in the, you know, when it's in a movie and there's like some sort of foreshadowing takes place and you can see like what's coming next but the character in the movie can't? And you just want to yell at the character in the movie and say, stop it or don't do that. Or you want to shake him and say, hey, that's not the right thing to do or you're going to get in trouble or, you know, the murderer's going to get you or whatever it might be, right? So that's, that's the picture I get here. Like you want to shake David and be like, David, open your eyes. Well, he doesn't. Um, and he's unaware once again. While they're on this journey, Absalom ends up getting his brother Amnon drunk and has his men kill him. David's passivity leads to further judgment on Amnon than perhaps may have happened if David had taken matters into his own hands. See, David does not attempt now to repair his relationship with Absalom here after the murder is committed. In fact, David does nothing, and Absalom goes on the run For three years. He does not show mercy or judgment. He simply does nothing. David now has a firstborn son who is dead, a second son who is a fugitive, and a daughter who is disgraced. David has stopped leading. He's just existing at this point. David's own sin of adultery and murder has led him to being a passive, absent father and a poor king. Because passivity, where there is meant to be strength, leads to chaos and disorder. Passivity, where there is meant to be strength, leads to chaos and disorder. David's shame kept him from moving forward. We see his, David's leadership begin to fall here with this decision to remain home for, from war. When it was his job to be actively involved with his troops. When David was challenged, we see him respond with courage. But when things become comfortable and easy, the slow fade begins. We'll hear more, even more about this story next week. But for now, let's consider the series of decisions made by David and how it destroyed his family. See, sometimes we can get trapped in the thinking that it's not wrong for me to compromise a little in this area and a little in that area. I'm not sinning by making this decision. Sometimes we can, it can be so easy to just justify what we're doing. But that decision that we're making, is that leading us into more righteous living? Is it leading us to lead our marriages and our families well? Is it leading us to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ? Would we say that what David did by remaining at home and not going to war, would we call that sin? Probably not. But his idle hands, his pursuit of comfort and pleasure, left himself open 
for sin. Why? Because somewhere along the line, he traded courage for comfort. He traded righteousness for self-pleasure. He traded his authority for a moment of pleasure. He traded his confidence in God for deep shame. And he traded his boldness for passivity. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're at some point along that timeline. David was passive in leading himself. Where are you not leading yourself well? Where are you not leading yourself well? That's where it starts. And next, his passivity bled into the leadership of others. Where are you not leading others well? In your sphere of influence, where are you not leading others well, possibly because of shame or passivity? And next, his shame led him to overlook sin. What sin are you not dealing with? And then finally, his shame kept him from moving forward. What are you not facing that you need to in order to move forward? I wanted to give you some visual illustrations to, to, to leave with you uh, before we close this morning. And one was this couch here. I found this picture of this couch. I thought it was really cool. Um, it'd be like you could take lots of naps on that couch. Um, but the, the idea is, is how much are we pursuing comfort? And I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing things that are comfortable. There's nothing wrong with taking naps, especially on Thanksgiving, right? That's all good. They're all good stuff. And there's nothing wrong with playing video games, right? But is what I'm doing, the time I'm spending doing it, is that leading me to just desire comfort and not allow God to lead in my life because I just want to be comfortable? Next, someone here might have crossed that line of sin and it feels hopeless like there's no way out. But we know if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that Jesus will forgive us. So I encourage you that if you've crossed that line of sin, that you confess that to God. Now, some, it might even extend where you've crossed into that line of shame, where you might say, oh, you have no idea. You have no idea what I've done. You have no idea the life that I've lived. But the reality is that Jesus will forgive you. And the reality is, is that you have a group of people here that can come around you and to help you walk with Jesus together. Why do you think we're always telling you to get into a small group? I mean, if, if you leave today and you want to talk to one of us about some of these things, you're absolutely welcome to do that. I know that's not on everybody's mind right away to do, but when you're in your small groups, you build relationships with people and you have opportunities in that environment to be able to share and to be able to overcome that shame and, uh, and receive forgiveness from God. Um, and some, it might lead to, that shame might lead to passive leadership. Where God has called us to lead, maybe we don't lead. Oh, 
God has called me to reach others for Jesus. God has called me to, to serve in this ministry. God has called me to do that. Wait, uh uh-uh. I can't do that. I can't do that. So we become passive in our leading. But God is, they, they, where, where you don't, maybe you don't feel worthy to lead. But God has called us to lead. And some may have sinned, but others in their lives won't forgive them, and they want to make them pay for their sin, causing further shame and passivity. So I have this final one. Um, I decided not to use a husband and wife one, so I didn't want to, like, harp on the husband or wife more. So I thought I'd use a dog and a lady. <laughs> so this is, this is the one where even if you have somebody that's constantly pointing out your sin to you, like you have forgiveness with Jesus. You have forgiveness with Jesus. So what is the solution? Start with yourself. You cannot lead others well until you're leading yourself well. And you can't lead yourself well until Jesus is leading you. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Confess your sin before God. Turn from your sin and live right. Lead yourself. Lead your home. Lead the church. And lead in the world. And if you've listened to this message and you've heard these application points and you're still not convinced to no longer live in passivity and shame, I encourage you to memorize these verses. So you can either write them down or put them in your phone, however you take your notes. But I want you to put down Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacles of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So if you're here today and you've not recognized Jesus as your forgiver and leader, if there's not been a moment in your life where you've said, yes, I recognize, I admit my sin, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and I call upon him for salvation. If you've not done that, then this does not apply to you. But if you have recognized Jesus as your forgiver and leader, then this passage applies to you. That Jesus paid that penalty for your sin, regardless of what it is. So that shame can no longer define you. God can use you to lead yourself and others well. But you need to come to the foot of the cross and recognize your need for him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I can't can't really thank you enough for the free gift of salvation we have through your Son. And God, we walk through life and it's It's messy, whether we've caused the mess or someone else has caused the mess. Lord, we know that you love us and we know that you stand there ready to forgive us. So I just pray, God, we would not live in shame and that we would not live a passive life, but that we would follow wholeheartedly after you. I thank you for how much you love us and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.